ChatGPT is one of the most trending topics right now. It's been less than a week since its release and people's minds are being blown with what it can do. It's also breaking records with over 1 million users signed up in just 5 days, faster than Netflix, Twitter, Facebook, even Instagram. No longer will you be googling the answers to problems, ChatGPT gives breakdowns of them in fine detail with explanations exactly how it works. This will make people question just how relevant Google will be in the coming future. Chat generative pre-trained transformer huh you and your daughter may know best as chat gpt one of the more well-known applications of ai or artificial intelligence and there hasn't just been a buzz about chat gpt there's been a raging unrelenting hailstorm of headlines and news stories in recent weeks do we embrace it should we be terrified the opinions run the gamut what should you as a parent know about ChatGPT? And as important, how should you be talking to your daughter about its value and its uses? I'm Trudy Hall, your host for Uneducating Girls, a podcast produced by the International Coalition of Girls Schools. And in this episode, we're going to be exploring this controversial new technology with Robert Dodds, an educator committed in equal measure to both innovation and excellence. ChatGPT is on the minds of educators as it's widely believed that this technology may be used by students to do academic work, sometimes unbeknownst to the teacher. Simply stated, it's a technology application that creates responses based upon human feedback. So as the feedback improves, the responses improve. It has a diverse array of uses from writing emails to coding computer programs, from creating music to solving math problems, and of even more concern to many educators, from summarizing articles to describing complex topics more simplistically, the sort of assignments often given to students. AI can help my learning by giving me feedback and assistance so that I can prove my work without having to wait to see my teacher. Another way I think AI could help me is to reword a definition you need for a certain subject like HASS or science that you might struggle with, maybe don't understand or you just want a simplified version of it. My guest, Robert Dodds, the head of innovation at Methodist Ladies College in Australia, firmly believes in creating distinctive learning experiences through the intentional integration of digital tools and technology across the curriculum. He and the gifted teachers with whom he works have been pioneers in this arena, creating guides for parents, one of which we're going to share with you, to help them navigate this new uncertain terrain. I've asked him to help us unpack this complex topic. In truth, I also asked ChatGPT to write this intro, and I was mightily impressed with the responses I got. But I'm going to leave it to you as the listener to decide which pieces of what I've just said are mine and which were provided by ChatGPT. Welcome, Robert. I'm really looking forward to learning from you today. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you for having me. I'd love to have you start by giving our listeners a sense of how you got to be in this world. How did you become passionate about integrating um, technology into education? Well, I think that the, the important thing is that I really started off with a passion for education and learning. That just fascinated me. Um, always wanted to be a teacher. And as I came closer to that goal, I, I, I sort of started to become uh, more aware of the technology and started to connect the, 
the empowerment that that technology could bring about for students. So um, the more I saw how I could connect more concepts, more students with uh, passions and interests and how I could really get those students to innovate and draw forward, that's what really excited me. And uh, within primary schools and secondary schools and having been through a number of different roles, that's the one thing that's always stayed with me is that I'm looking to find ways for our students to to be better than we are, to move forward, to really innovate the world and make a difference. A worthy mission. And and so as part of that, you and I have talked about um, artificial intelligence. And as we dive into that for our parents, I'm wondering if you could give us some necessary vocabulary. So, you know, for a parent to fully engage in a conversation with their daughter about AI and class GPT, what terms do they need to know as we dive in today? Well, I guess this is one of those ones where a few keywords is definitely helpful. Um, the biggest one, I guess, is really just making sure that you have an understanding of what artificial intelligence is. So there are different levels of it. We have it all around us already, but um, the, the lowest level that we would see is weak uh, AI, and it moves all the way up to strong AI. So the weak AI is, is generally AI is something that can do something that normally requires human intelligence. Weak AI, it has to be taught and has to do it itself. It tends to be fairly monotonous tasks that it's doing. Uh, and if you move up to the strong AI, that's where you start to see things like you know, Skynet and all of that from the science fiction movies that scare us off. You're heading towards things that go beyond human capacity. Now, we're nowhere near that, thankfully. We're down in that narrow or weak end of AI at the moment, but that doesn't mean we have a huge capacity. So um, when we talk about ChatGPT in particular, it's just one tool. There are thousands of fantastic tools out there, um, but this is the um, the one that everyone knows. It's a chatbot. It uh, uses natural language. And the reason I'm saying that is that what makes it special is that you can interact with this artificial intelligence uh, in the same way you would interact with the person. And it can then use that to actually give you back what you need. So the beauty of this for an education point of view is you don't actually need any specialist technological skills to engage, to produce, to create, to analyze, and to really uh, engage with that learning. Now, the main thing that we differentiate from that is the idea of um, how we do that. We call it a prompt. So if you hear me talk about prompts or hear someone talking about prompt, I talk about prompt engineering. Um, and that's really just learning how to talk to that AI well, how to describe what you want, how to get the best response out of it. So really, you're being selective about your language. You're making sure that you have clarity and you're considering all the different angles that you want to make sure are included in, in your response. You can say that the fact that you don't need technical skills is the beauty of it. Mm. It's probably the danger of it um, as well. And, and I've, I've heard you say that integrating technology advances, really any of them, um, into the educational process is a values-based proposition. What do, you, what do you mean by that? Why is what we're talking about a values-based proposition? We're living at a time right now where technology is changing at a completely unprecedented rate. If to, to put it in context, if you look at it going from the Wright brothers to being on the moon, we've got, I think, 66 years of difference between there. So um, it's a very small time for a huge jump. Now, if you look at then a little more closely, something like the iPhone, how that's developed and how that changed society, we're going to see an explosion with AI that is even more um, astounding. 
So what we need to do is we need to not be led by the tail, I guess, by the tool itself. We know what we want to do. We know good education as teachers. We know what our students need. We know how to get them engaged, how to get them really passionate about something, how to make sure they're gaining the skills. So when we look at this, the one thing that's not going to change at that same rate is our values. So if we anchor our decisions on the values, then it doesn't matter what the technology is. We're making a sound decision based on what we know and staying within that area that's going to give best decisions for our students. Now, our values may change. That's part of society, but they won't change at that rate. Obviously, there are areas where different cultures, different communities, different countries, whatever, will have different views, different priorities. And that is one of the, the dangers we have around AI is the idea of things like legislation, regulation. It's difficult to get an agreement that's going to be consistent. So it's really important, I guess, for us to, to keep an eye on that in our own areas and jurisdictions. But um, it's not a golden bullet, but it's certainly the, the thing that we, we know best. I love the notion of this is an anchor too. the idea that your values should anchor it. It makes a lot of sense. And it feels to me like a central focus as, as parents talk about this, they can actually think about their own values as, as we move through this conversation. So now let's turn our attention to chat GPT. How in your experience has it changed or impacted learning since it hit center stage? I know you spend a considerable amount of time helping to educate parents. What have you learned and, and how do we begin here? The tool is really what you make of it. That's the beauty of it. So it's, it's got a huge amount of data behind it. And the GPT in ChatGPT stands for a generative pre-trained transformer, which is a very fancy way of saying that uh, it's something that can create using a, a very large amount of information that it's already got some good ideas about how to connect. Now, it does it two ways. It does it through what we call that corpus, which is a huge trawl of information from the internet. And it then also has real people who actually go through and will tag things and tell it this is a good connection, that's not. And it gets better as it goes along. It uses some machine learning. Now, that enables you to do an enormous amount with this. So just to give you a little piece, as soon as we started talking to our teachers uh, here and we started you know, really talking about it from a teaching and learning point of view, we started to identify little things that could happen. Now, if I start on the, on the bottom rung, in terms of just time, both for students and for teachers, one of the things that we often say about is having time to really dive into things and taking away some of those pieces, but also lowering cognitive load in areas where it's not necessarily beneficial. So you can use this to create basic texts. Um, you can then take a step up and say, well, actually, I want to now differentiate that text so that it suits a reading level for an individual within my class, or that it's in a specific language that the student can access. I could say that I want to take um, that text and alter it so that we change the character to mimic something about particular individuals in my class so that they have a better chance to connect to it. One of the things that we really love about it, or, and was one of the first things that I was really engaged with, I'm a, a, a huge fan of feedback and the importance of feedback for students. Well, we find that if we give this a, a very simple instruction, we tell it as a teacher and giving it a role really helps to, to flavor the, the language of the response. You're going to respond to the text that's input below using these success criteria. Base your feedback on the Hattie Temperley feedback model. Then you can put whatever model you want in there. That's it. 
But we then find that students have now got something that, based on their um, success criteria from their tasks, they have a feedback, instant feedback, 24 hours a day, immediate. They don't have to wait in line. They don't have to have that across. Now, is it ever going? Is it sometimes going to be wrong? It might well be. And the more that we tweak and the more we attune it, that's fine. But even outside of the technology, there's a huge advantage here to now being able to actually focus on things like the critical analysis or, or uh, of information, information literacy, uh, and how really to spot what's true and what's not, how to source check, et cetera. So that's another thing that comes out of it. We've been able to give students an opportunity to go far beyond their normal expectations in text. I'll tell you one of my favorite stories. Um, one of my roles, uh, my role at, at Methodist Ladies College as head of innovation, I have a co-curricular group called the Minecraft Innovators Club. Uh, this is a group that goes, it was from one to, to six at the time. And uh, we had a, a little girl who came up to me and said, Mr. Dodds, uh, I'm building my rocket. We were building missions to Mars. It's all engineering principles. And she said, I want to put in uh, some information for the astronauts in case something goes wrong on the flight. So I thought, well, okay, we can put a, a screen up. We can put, you know, import the picture, put that on there. Where do you want to put it? She went, astronauts wouldn't have a picture, Mr. Dodds. They'd have an app, but I don't know how to make an app. So, okay, we sat down um, and we opened up her device and we just got her to, to, to tell us, what would this actually tell the astronauts? We got that written down. We put it into prompt GPT and we said, as an expert coder, design an app in Python, which will follow the rules below. And within a few seconds, we had a runnable Python code that allowed this girl, who has now designed in year two, her first app. So a really wonderful way of extending the, the imagination, the, the capability, the, the real life aspect of learning for students. So um, look, <laughs> It's, it's, we could be talking here for two, three weeks. It really comes down to um, what your teachers want to do, what your students want to do, and really applying your imagination. You know, everything out from uh, another favorite was the idea of interviewing an author. So telling the, the chat GPT, you are this author. You're going to respond to questions. You know, uh, here, refer to elements of your books or your history that go. And um, obviously, we know that ChatGPT it has a limit. Its training database runs up to the end of 2021. Although if you've got now, if you've got GPT-4, you actually can't have the plugin. Or if you're using Bing or you know the other elements like that, you can get the information from the internet. And we did Stephen King as a test one to try it, and it was remarkable. And you could do that with any uh, figure from history that you would like. Have the opportunity to sit down and interview past presidents or Genghis Khan or whomever you like, and uh, rather than just reading it off a sheet, have a conversation and analyze this person claims to be they've turned up from you know having traveled through time ask them questions and decide whether they are actually who they say they are so it's a really fun little way of engaging well the story about the astronauts sort of takes me to um another survey that i recently read that suggested that the generation that's um now entering the workplace is actually more productive when they use chat gpt which you're you're seeming to indicate the article quoted a Stanford economist who suggested that it's going to become the calculator for writing. You know, one CEO even claimed that those who don't use it are going to be at a serious disadvantage in the workplace. How do those opinions land on you? And if so, you know, 
um, how do you how does it fuel? I think you've just given us a great example, but any other examples about how it fuels efficiency or productivity? I think we've seen lots of examples of this coming through. I mean, I mentioned already about the idea of of um, teacher efficiency and teacher productivity and, and how it helps. So one little example, even from my own practice, is that I'll have exit tickets uh, coming out of classes or or little bits of feedback from task. And what I'll do is I'll I'll write my feedback. Uh, before I send it out to, to my students, I'll actually select it all, drop it into ChatGPT and say, summarize all of the feedback below and give me three key pointers. And then I'll share those three key pointers as class feedback for discussion. So it, it's just, it, it's a, a small job, but really helps to direct that feedback and it saves me that time. Um, you know, we, we're not just in, in, Education, but you know, in other industries, the the other study that I saw was one by Fishbowl, and it said I think it was forty three percent of people were now using um, ChatGPT within their jobs. But of those forty three percent, I think it was sixty eight or seventy percent hadn't told anybody because they were worried that it would be seen as as cheating. Right. So there, there's a social change in this, and it's it's going to be one of those things that we'll just have to let it run through. Now, this is an area, you know, if we look at things, we said already about things like coding. Uh, we talk about things like uh, MidJourney, which is an incredible AI app, or AI, app artflow.ai, which can create images and video from text or runway. So just these remarkable things which are going on for things like marketing, um, for entertainment and, and, and arts and music, et cetera. Uh, we see chatbots um, being used for customer service. You know, they... Um, can be there. They can look up the best information very quickly. It can be personalized to you. And we're that's not a future. We're seeing that now. When you speak to the bank on your online chat, you're probably not talking to a person. Your bank's already using uh, AI for things like uh, security, cybersecurity, voice recognition for the approval of, of transactions, etc. Uh, we're seeing it in medicine for breast cancer detection, for AI-enhanced diagnosis. We see it for tracking poachers, uh, we see it for tracking honeybee migrations for agriculture. It's there's, it's something that's permeating absolutely everywhere. And we're actually really looking forward. We have a, a year six, seven event happening in a few weeks, whereby our students are engaging in one of I think it's 12 industries now with experts. And they're actually exploring how it's going to impact the future of those industries. And that's important for our students because, you know, even before AI came through, we talk about, you know, how we're going to prepare for the future. Well, we need to have a look at that future because some of those job rules are going to change pretty quickly. And some of those industries are going to move decades ahead of where we expected them to be by the time they get there. I like how you're normalizing this for us and how you're sort of bringing down the anxiety level um, as we think about chat GTP. On the other hand, I want to go back to the first part of what you said, and you know, 68% of people who are using it aren't telling anyone, and that takes us a bit to the dark side. So let's go to the dark side for a little bit. Um, we both have heard that uh, the concern that ChatGPT is making it possible to quote-unquote cheat with greater ease. What do you say about those who think that it's going to make it easier for folks to, be, to cheat or to be less likely to produce their own work on, on academic work? Uh, look, could ChatGPT be used to cheat? Absolutely, and and very successfully. You know that's the thing. So um, there are a few things that we have to remember when we we get to this. One is, as our principal Rebecca Clark likes to say, AI is not going anywhere; it's going everywhere. 
this is not something that's going to go away. It's a little like horses and cars. You know, cars came along, uh, took an industry away that was there for thousands of years with horses, and not that many people are riding a horse to work now. So AI will become something that's all firmly embedded in lots of parts of our lives. So it's important that we have our students prepared and educated to use it, and not just to use it, but to innovate with it and to lead with it. Now, um, there are ways of, of doing this, and there are ways of, of really sitting across. The first one is to have a look at things like, you know, banning it, which some schools have done. And as I say, I don't think that that's a good idea because cheating came along before ChatGPT. Are we going to ban libraries and websites and siblings and tutors and mums and dads who help? It, it goes on and on and on. You know, 50 years ago, ballpark pens were going to ruin education. Before that, it was moving to paper. Uh, Plato talked about how uh, writing was going to ruin education, and somehow we move on. So that the idea of what we often hear referred to as moral outrage or moral panic when something changes, particularly large technological changes, um, is not unusual. And ChatGPT certainly has stirred that up. Now, I'm not belittling that at all. It's an important thing. It's a way that society looks to protect our younger generations according to our values. But what I've really tried to draw across and what the school has been very good at, at engaging with is balancing that with what I've entitled moral optimism. That we look at something that you know is frightening, that is new, that is going to change a lot, but try to see past the dark side and into the light and try to see all the wonderful things this could do for our girls and you know where it could take them in the future. The other part to it is um, looking at how do we stop that cheating and why. So in terms of stopping the cheating, there are detection tools out there. They make some very bold claims. I have to admit, I haven't seen any that are very effective yet. And for every tool I've seen, uh, I've seen XYZ number of videos on YouTube within seconds telling you how to get around that particular tool. So the technological isn't really going to fix it. For me, two things have to change. One is that we have to look at how we assess. We have to personalize that assessment. We have to start drawing in elements that are more personal, that require reflection and response. Um, we can use things like presentation, uh, physical product. We can use Viva Voce. We can use lots of different elements. And we can also have that assessment be carried out throughout the process rather than simply at the summative end of things as we go. There's a need to change, perhaps in some cases, what we value too. Um, in that, you know, an expert when I was younger was the person who could recite all the names of the kings of France from whatever to whatever. Well, Google took care of that a long time ago. So it's important to look at this as not being a replacement for skills, but being a, a way of changing the relationship, I guess, with it. The other way to look at this too is that why are the students cheating? There are some really simple things that, that always seem to come about and they are that there's um, either a lack of confidence, like self-efficacy, or if it's a feeling that everyone is doing it or that there's no consequence or that they're not engaged or valuing the learning. So for me, I, I look at that from a, from a teaching point of view, I look at it and think, well, why are they cheating? How can I change that? How can I, instead of trying to negate the tool that is allowing the cheating, if I really want to, to make the change, I've got to look at how I would bring about a greater ethos of uh, academic integrity. Well, how does that value shift? So um, it, that's a longer term prospect, but I think that this does raise an interesting conversation there.
Well, thank you for putting uh, cheating in context, because I happen to agree with you that um, if students are going to cheat, they're going to cheat. And we have to get up prettier on the morning to figure out a way around that. And technology helps them, I think, understand how to get away around that. So, you know, all, all helps us ground again in that what you said before, sort of, I, I love this, the idea of the, the moral optimism. Um, that we really have to sort of see our way through the dark side to the to the brighter sides. To understand AI, my advice for parents should be to maybe try to use it for their own uses and daily tasks in their lives. For example, maybe try and use it in your job or just daily tasks around the house. The jobs that are least likely to be affected by AI are the jobs that need one-on-one -on -one human connection, like empathy and creativity, like being a nurse or a psychologist or a therapist, the jobs that people want another human talking to them instead of just talking to a screen. So having, having said that we're going to see our way through the dark side, are there certain guidelines that you think um, educators uh, should claim as essential, you know, that they ought to be in an educational environment if one is going to embrace chat GPT? Uh, well, I go back to the, the, the values proposition. You know your classes better than anyone else. Your school will have a, a, an ethos or a, a defined, you know, line in terms of teaching and, and learning and, and what they want for their students. So stay close to that. And stay close to, to what you understand about those students uh, in your care. So it's the same with anything if you want to introduce it. You know, you have to have those three magic words. You, know, you have to have clarity. You have to have a consistent approach. And you have to have transparency. Talk to the students, explain why these things are happening and get them across, because that social understanding of, of the reasons behind it is, is going to be absolutely vital. The other one, I guess, is, is to, to um, just be, uh, allow yourself to fail. We talk about students, you know, making mistakes and, and allowing that and encouraging, and, and we need to do that as we move forward. Teachers are the same. But so if we have something simple, that you can follow, that you can communicate and clarify. So for instance, here we went to begin with, we just stepped in with three very simple statements. Okay. And that was enough to cover regardless of subject, regardless of age. And those three statements really just said that if you're going to use um, an AI tool, it should only be in a situation where either your teacher has expressly told you, you can use this or you've checked with your teacher. And we added that on because the teacher might not have thought of it. We want the students having ideas if they come to the teacher. So there's that clarification. The other one is that they must make sure that they follow all the legal requirements. So your different AI tools will have a variety of legal requirements, et cetera. So things like COPPA require, that's you know, online privacy for children, requires that we don't track information for students uh, under the age of 13, 13 to 18 for a lot of these tools you can with parental permission you can use it now even at that there are tools out there like um, game changer bite which is an online tool which doesn't track doesn't hold information doesn't track no sign in or anything like that so you can use it openly and can academy have Canvigo coming up which is going to be fantastic as well so there's always options um the last one was and this is like any other source that you would use make sure that if you are using an AI tool that you give an appropriate citation and that you would include the prompts that you've used in order to generate the content. Now, that's important for two reasons. One, obviously, things like copyright, 
you know, there's a lot of uh, fluidity at the moment around copyright with AI generated content. But also for me as a teacher, I can have a look at those prompts and as they've refined the prompts, really learn more about the process of their thinking as they've moved through that. So it's an important element of evidence as well. So for me, that, that's really the key to it as you go in. Just keep it simple. Keep it something that you can and will actually enforce and support. And just make sure that if you're going to go in, that you are confident. You don't need to be the expert, but just know those three things and you should be good. Well, and I um, think the language that you've used at the, um, is very important here. The clarity, consistency, and transparency. I mean, isn't that what good parenting is as well? So there really are uh, parallels here between how one parents and how one teaches when it comes to so many of these conversations. For the parents who are listening, um, how can they become familiar with this? As I listen to you talk, you clearly, it's secondhand for you. You use it with regularity. But if I'm a parent and I, I want to start, where do I begin? Well, as, as we said already, lots of the parents listening will be using it in, in a variety of ways. Um, but if you're going to bring something like ChatGPT or Bing or whatever uh, model you're going to use into your home, um, I get to use my favorite word now, the most important element of all learning, play. Okay, so again, that's the thing. You've got this wonderful aspect where you don't need technical training for this. You can get better by learning to prompt engineer, but um, so long as you can define what you want to generate, you'll you'll be grand. So get into it, have a look, make sure you, you choose something. There are free tools, there are paid tools, choose whatever's going to suit you. Um, but use all the normal avenues that you would. Um, if I want to learn to do something around the house, one of the first things I'll do is I'll jump to YouTube. There are lots of great videos for parents out there that you can go to and see those. Another great technique is to go, what we refer to as go meta. If you want to know how to use ChatGPT well in your house, ask ChatGPT. It will give you a list of, of instructions and what to do. Ask it exactly what you want because it knows itself pretty well. But pick out things that you want to do around the house and pick out things that you want to do in your job and pick out things that you think your children could do. So one that we have in our house, and I said to you about you know being able to, to take over some of those more odious or tedious jobs at a low level. Uh, one of the things that we hate in our house is planning dinners to test it. It's just a horrible job. So we uh, had a look in the fridge, put my daughter on, onto the, the, the side with the, the device. We called out all the things that were in the fridge. She put them all in, asked it to give us, uh, as a, uh, an experienced chef, uh, create a series of five recipes using as many of the ingredients as possible. Uh, please prioritize the first three as they're near their out of date. Okay. And we got a week's meal plan. Jump straight out, lists of ingredients, uh, the methods, how to cook them. We then said to using it because we can connect to the internet, using the Coles website, tell us how much each of these items are going to cost. And it went through and was able to pick that out. So that's something that normally takes me a long time. It's something I could do with my daughter. We've created packing lists for camping. And I can tell you now, I haven't been camping since I was little. ChatGPT was able to give me little ideas that I had never seen or thought of. So um, all these things that, that you can do. But it's really important, you know, if you're going to be familiar with it, use it in context that you understand, that you can judge, engage the outcome for it. 
Okay, Robert, uh, now I'm a parent and you've made me feel very comfortable. I, I dove in, I tried some things. I'm now going to sit next to my daughter and work with my daughter. How would you propose that I work with her? You've given us a great example of at the, at the kitchen. I love that. Um, what about her academic work or understanding? Maybe, maybe she doesn't understand the power of GPT. Where, where do I go as a parent with this? So again, this is something that is true for any technology that you're bringing into your home. Um, uh, it's something I, I've said since uh, particularly things like esports that I'm involved with or gaming, which causes the same kind of concern. The, the verb that I'd like to use is co-piloting. So what I suggest is that you sit down and be the co-pilot. You don't have to be the expert. Let your child be the expert, ask questions, listen, and just watch. First of all, you're going to see that it probably isn't as bad in terms of what they want to do with it as you, you perhaps thought. But it also gives you the opportunity to, as we say, co-pilot. You're not having no control. You are at the side to assist. And what you can bring in there is what they don't have, which is the experience and maturity. So you can have a look at what they're doing, see where there might potentially be consequences. Um, and, and really, they'll help you gain the skills and the understanding of how it can be used and you'll help then to temper that from a safety point of view and also bringing it back to those values that we discussed earlier on. The other thing that you can do as well is uh, also talk to the school. Now, there was a survey done a little while ago, I think Common Sense Media had said, I think parents, it was only 21% of parents were confident that their school had a, a, an approach for AI. That's not a belittlement of schools at all because it is such a new technology, it's really hard to draw in. But do talk to them, because if they have got some guidance, they've really thought about it. Um, and again, they're used to, to introducing new technologies, students, et cetera. So you can gain some wisdom from there. And definitely, if they have got something in place, it's a good idea to mirror some of that where you can at home in order to consolidate it and to build that, that familiarity and that consistency and clarity that we've talked about before. But yeah, it really is a, a great idea to to use AI during some of those co-piloting sessions for things that you need to do. So take it into a context that would be perhaps from your work or from a particular interest, demonstrate what you might do, how you might use it, get their advice. And the benefit there is that it's a, an easy way to introduce a discussion about consequence. What happens if I don't check this particular fact or if I don't think carefully about omissions from my prompt? Uh, because it's a little bit more low stakes. They don't have to worry about it in their own work. It's not a direct consequence. And so you can have it without it being threatening or without it being a scary proposition. So it puts it in context uh, and it really gives them an understanding of uh, where they might need to look out uh, for errors or mistakes or potential consequences. This has been, for me, a very rich conversation because all along you have been dropping these lovely pellets of wisdom, but it's time to end. And I'd like to ask all of my guests for one, two, three key points. Is there anything you haven't mentioned or is there anything you want to say in, in summary? Uh, well, look, I'll, I'll give you a, a little gift. Um, and I know we're, we're going to give you a little uh, resource that you can share with the listeners, which just gives some some elements that we've talked about already and some prompts to play with uh, some that we've tried out and tested that they can get started with. So I'll just discuss one of my favorites and it's one of the simplest. Um, I'm pretty sure a lot of parents would admit to having had this point. I certainly have, whereby 
their child comes home they've got some homework to do and they go dad can you help me with my homework and you look at it and think i haven't done that maths for 15 years i might need to go to look this up so one of the simple prompts that you can use is uh, a socrative tutor so it goes it's something like this and you can fit it to what you like as a socrative tutor you will help uh, the user who is insert their age 10 years old to find the answer to the questions they put below do not give them the answer straight away but lead them there the user loves bears and science fiction this is what one that came from my daughter and what you'll have is that they'll go in and they'll put a question in there they might put in you know if they get their maths homework they might go well, what is the area of a rectangle that is two meters by three meters and instead of it going giving the answer straight away it will go oh let's have a look at how we could work this out and it will start to give them steps to take them through so rather than them just looking up the answer this will give them that out and um, the, the bears and the sci-fi thing is relevant because I actually have one point where my daughter thought she'd be very funny. And uh, when it said that it was it was cool that it had this formula for, for working this out, she said, yeah, but not as cool as bears. And it said, well, that's true, but a bear is around about two and a half meters tall or even higher. And the area that they would live in is a rectangle, usually this size by this size. So let's work out the area of a bear's territory. And I just thought that's wonderful. It's taken that little nugget about my daughter and it's now personalized, not just the feedback it's giving her on her responses, but it's personalized the examples. So use those prompts, um, play around. And again, like I said, with, with the teachers, you know your daughters, really just tailor it to fit them. That's excellent. So let me see if I can sum some of this. Um, we're going to anchor our decisions in this in our own values, knowing that our values are consistent. And like our parenting strategy, we're going to be, we're going to use clarity, we're going to use consistency, and we're going to use transparency as we co-pilot with our children, our girls, letting them be the drivers, letting them teach us. We want to help them innovate because it's important that our children be far more innovative than we are because of the world we've left them uh, to fix. Um, and then finally, I think we're going to see through um, this in a, with moral optimism, and we're going to all look at the positive and embrace this new technology. Did I, did I sum that up in a way that makes some sense? I think that sounds absolutely right. This has been such a great opportunity for me to understand um, about this world. And I want to thank you very much for, for putting it in um, terms that we can all understand and embrace. And I hope that many of our parents are running out to the refrigerator right now with their children <laughs> to read the list of ingredients um, so that dinner can be made in an hour. So thank you very much. We don't guarantee the quality of the cooking that comes from the recipes, but you'll definitely get the instructions. <laughs> All right, thank you very much, Trudy. It's been fantastic. You've been listening to On Educating Girls, a podcast produced by the International Coalition of Girls Schools to address real issues that impact the lives of girls we know. As always, we welcome your thoughts. So please send comments and questions to podcast at girlsschools.org. And join us next time as we share insights and resources. Thanks so much for listening. It's important to the girls in your lives that you do.